our foster care system is shattered. And this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, change in the system and changing the lives of children in foster care. Hi, my name is Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national charity called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in foster care. I'm a public speaker. I'm an author of A Forever Family, but most important, I'm a dad to five of the most amazing kids. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Well, good morning, everybody, and it's Rob Shear, and welcome to another episode of Fostering Change. You know, um, gosh, it's so hard to believe that we are already almost halfway through the year. We've had some amazing guests on, um, and we have done some amazing things, not only with Fostering Change, but for ComfortCases.org. But I am so excited about our next guest. He truly gets what it means to have a large family. Okay. You know, I always talk about how I never thought that I would ever be a dad and to be a dad to five of the most amazing humans. You know, my oldest son, Alex is 20. My sweet daughter, Amaya, who's 16. My sweet boy, Makai, who is 14. And by the way, Grayson just turned 14 as well. And then of course, I will never forget my sweet baby boy, Tristan, who's 12. But my friend, Willie, um, he's got us beat. He is actually a father of eight kids. And Willie, welcome to Fostering Change. Yeah, thank you for having me. Always happy to discuss something that is sort of uh, unavoidable in my life. So yeah, I uh, like to attempt to infect others with this idea, you know? Uh, well, let me tell you something. I, I've, um, I've read up on you quite a bit and you've been doing some amazing things. One of the things that I really want to jump in before we even start talking about how you and I both could fill a school bus, um, you know, I would love to talk about your experience when it comes to recruiting foster parents. I noticed that that was something that you have been doing. Um, yeah, yeah. So in 2013, a uh, partner of mine, uh, Thomas Kroom, and I started a nonprofit called Go Foster. We sort of disbanded it in 2019 because they hired a bunch, the, the, the department hired a bunch of people that were on our team. And we kind of said, well, okay, that's a good, that's a good sign. Anyway, we're getting, uh, you know, actual foster parents and people who know what's happening and have experience in the system plugged into the system rather than just uh, constant outsiders. So, uh, but the idea was to recruit and retain foster parents. Uh, you know, any agency you talk to, they're going to tell you biggest challenges, recruiting, retaining, recruiting, retaining. Um, and we uh, initially it started, so he's also a professor as I am. And, and initially it started as kind of a discussing as a research project, right? What if we could collect some data on recruitment efforts and, uh, you know, see what's working and what's not, and maybe, maybe certain types of recruiting messages, get people excited and get them to sign up on a piece of paper, but don't really translate into actual, uh, you know, homes being opened up, or maybe some, you know, maybe the exact opposite, maybe some messages uh, get fewer people to sign up on the information sheet, but really solidify them uh, into the system in a, in a, in a strong way. And uh, we started talking to different agencies about the viability of such a research project and quickly became aware of the fact that, at least in Florida, um, it's all decentralized. So every judicial circuit has 
potentially different agencies working in there and everything. And, and uh, it kind of quickly became apparent that if we were going to even begin to try to do anything like that, we'd probably just need to get control of what those messages were. And then the more we thought about it, the more we thought, well, you know, we'd like to, um, you know, maybe play with different types of messages, frankly, um, things that maybe the state can't say or an agency contracted with the state can't say, but from a, you know, purely the perspective of influence or persuasion, you'd think, well, you know, that, that could probably be a pretty powerful message. Um, you know, things like, I mean, you know, so people tend to fix a problem. You know, if it's a need, if it's a, if it's this vague sort of, oh, it'd be nice if you helped, they'll say, yeah, yeah, that would be nice. And people who do that are nice. And, and you know, we'll, we'll do it another day. But if, you know, if the building's on fire, they're going to, they're going to act very quickly, right? If there's a big problem. And of course, uh, state agencies are deeply incentivized to make it look like there's not a problem, right? Uh, if they say, yep, there's a, there's a big problem, we're, we're running scared, we don't know what we're doing, we're, we're messing things up, then uh, you know, obviously they can't do that, they're gonna lose their job. But a third party can come in and say, you know, maybe something a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more assertive. Um, and we just kind of wanted to play, be able to play with those ideas. And if, if the state did something that was weird, uh, we could point that out. And if they did something good, we could point, you know, not, not that we're trying to be uh, necessarily adversarial, but yeah, that we have the options, right? And if, uh, you know, obviously a lot of uh, recruiting that goes on in the foster world is religious and say, well, you know, one idea that I, I would have loved to have implemented that we did not implement uh, was, you know, a little, I mean, this is stolen from university recruiting, right? So when, when somebody from FSU calls uh, their alumni, they might refer to the don the student donation rate of the University of Florida because us versus them gets more stuff done than, hey, you're you're on our team, help us out, right? Again, there's a it's positioned more as a problem. Hey, there's a problem. UF gets more donations than we do, and that psychological process is like completely different, right? And uh, so we thought about again, never did it, never did it. It was saying, you know, hey, uh, go find the 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 most outline i'm trying to i'm trying to choose my words very wisely uh find the biggest outlier religious sect in a given area uh that has gotten like uh one adoptive family or you know foster family in in their uh ranks and then go and point it out you know so if it's um i'll pick on scientology because i think that might not get me in trouble as much as others but you know so hey uh did you know that uh Scientology uh, is the fastest growing uh, pool of foster families in, in this district, in this county, in this state, something like that, and get, uh, you know, everybody who is not on that team to go, well, I don't, I don't know if I like that, you know, <laughs> uh, get something in the game, try to inspire people to move, and then really just test the results, right, and, and admit that we don't know a lot about foster recruiting. It's, it's a different type of ask it's a different type of message right um we know about persuading people to buy cars and uh, other things but you know this is this is a way bigger commitment than a car or a house this is uh i mean the biggest thing i can maybe compare it to would be you know like organizations that go around and recruit missionaries right um we're not asking for your money we're not asking for a slight change to your lifestyle we're kind of asking to turn everything upside down you know, we're asking you to be okay with the idea that your couch may never uh, be 
suitable for display to other adults again. You know, there's always going to be some creature or mess hiding in the cushions, you know, and uh, it's a big ask. So with that big ask, uh, you know, the sort of things that we see from marketing and, and uh, social psychology that would motivate people to come help don't necessarily apply, right? Yeah, I mean, but you, you know, God, Willie, listening to so many things that you're saying, I, you, oh, my, my mind is just spinning because, first of all, I, I think that the biggest mistake that we made, and by the way, whether it's in Florida or in my state of Maryland, I travel the country, I talk to social workers, recruiters, nobody knows what they're doing, by the way, and not in a bad way. It's just because we all seem to be on different islands. And I think one of the very first things that we have done is we have continued on that myth of these kids are all bad. And we have continued on that myth that people don't realize that kids come into foster care because of choices that other people made. And when it comes back to, you know, you're circling back that wagon about religion. You know, I I wrote an op-ed on the Hill about two months ago that I feel like we've done a disservice when it comes to um, our our religious base organizations no longer being a part of child welfare. And again, I'm not talking about your, you know, and get me in trouble, holy rollers. I'm talking about, you know, I look at my church. I mean, I raise my, my five children, my husband and I, we have a deep faith in the United Methodist Church. Um, and I, I, my minister and I all talk quite often, never has a social worker ever walked in the doors of our church and said, let's talk about foster care. Mm. Didn't happen. But what I have seen our state do and our county do, and by the way, I live in one of the richest counties in the, in the country and in our state, they put up billboards at the bus stop to recruit foster parents. Yep, sounds about right. Um, Well, there's the temptation to mistake activity for accomplishment, right? Um, If I'm doing something, even if it's not fixing the problem, even if it's not producing desirable results, well, at least I get to pat my back, uh, pat myself on the back and say I did something. Um, you know, now as for the billboards, chances are they got those uh, donated, you know, as a, a PSA, you know, so hopefully they're not spending money on that. Um, I would love to say that. I would love to say that you're right, my friend, but I actually got to see the budget and there was actually money spent on the budget to put these there. I was absolutely horrified um, because, again, again, my opinion, Willie, I'm just telling you as a dad, I grew up in the system. Um, I my children are from the system. It is an industry that makes money on the backs of children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they budgeted money to put those billboards. And by the way, that is to attract a certain type of person. Simple as that. Simple as that. And, and, and what I'm always seeing, and again, Willie, I want you to educate our listeners on this, because what I'm always seeing is it's about how much money that you're making and not about the life that you can change a child. Uh, there are certainly there are certainly those elements, uh, and I understand that it takes money to do this right. Um, I, I have been critical with uh, people here in the state of Florida with the idea of that just in- increasing funding is going to be you know this is it, it's like the it's like the easy answer right and and don't get me wrong probably a lot of people need more funding that's that's not the issue but the you know to say 
well, we do a better job recruiting. We do a better job retraining, uh, you know, retaining if we had more money to give them or if the caseworkers were, were better paid. And so maybe, but there, there are other systemic things going on that are, you know, messing things up. And it, it's not just money. It's partly that maybe the, the type of people you're going out of your way to recruit are maybe not the best people. Uh, it's partly, I mean, one of the things we did, and, I, and this is still going, um, even though Go Foster has, uh, you know, ceased operations in any uh, official capacity, you know, we still have a, a rather large community that interacts with each other. And to me, that's one big thing that can exist to keep the system in line, right? I mean, it needs to be a self-checking, a self-regulating system. There needs to be accountability. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I, uh, it's happened more than once. I can tell you the last time it happened uh, was in a training class here in Florida. And uh, there's a foster parent who was saying things that should make this person not able to be a foster parent anymore, should exclude them from the system entirely. And nobody, myself included, uh, regretfully, nobody said anything to this guy. And then immediately, you know, it's one of those, you know, you're, you're very good at winning fights and winning battles, you know, five minutes afterwards, right? And I mean, as soon as, as, soon as I left, I was, I was thinking, damn it, like that, that was exactly what's been on my mind that, you know, we, we should have, uh, you know, circled around that guy and said, hey, are you being serious right now? Are you, did you just say that to us? Are you kidding me? Um, and, the, and it's just not there. I mean, and, and you know, the, the children's privacy comes into play. And, and I understand why there are so many rules to protect the children's privacy. But at the same time, there's an unintended, unintended consequence of that, which is people don't know what's happening. They don't. They, and they think, they're, they're they think it's happening in Haiti. They think it's happening in some bad neighborhoods of New Orleans. Uh, they don't realize it's happening, you know, right around the corner from them. Right. They don't realize that somebody that they work with had their kids removed because they're a horrible monster, you know? And, um, you know, that's, that's a problem. So it's like, talk to people about uh, recruitment. You talk to people about this and, and, and they just don't know. How are they going to do anything if they don't know? And I will say, you know, the one thing that we do know about recruiting, and you can, you can check me on this, uh, hopefully it's consistent with your experience, but the people who get involved in fostering or adopting knew somebody who was fostering and adopting before they started. They had some exposure to it. So it's a, you know, I joked about infecting, you know, we want to infect other people with this idea, but it, it's not exactly a joke. It is a contagion effect. It's, um, you know, for me, it was my mother after I left the house, uh, she started fostering and adopting kids. Um, for a lot of people around Tallahassee, maybe it was my family for, you know, and, it, and it's just, you know, there's all of these fears, all of these horror stories. I mean, they make, they make horror movies about this. Yeah. Think about that. You can't even make a horror movie about an adopted dog going crazy without, uh, you know, pushback, but you can make a, a horror movie about an adopted child losing their mind and burning the house down and stuff. And so you get all these horror stories and then sometimes what's needed is just to see somebody doing it and say, oh, well, that kid's a foster kid. Well, that kid's really sweet. That kid's really funny. That kid's really clever. Yeah. Oh, and that family's a foster family? Well, they, you know, they don't live in a bad part of town. And they, you know, it doesn't seem like they're running a, a child housing business, you know, to, to make ends meet. And, uh, you know, the kids seem well taken care of. And, and, you know, a lot of these kids just need a fighting chance, you know, I, are, are some of them 
you know, victims of trauma that's going to haunt them for the rest of their life. Yep. Uh, big time, but probably, probably most of them in one way or another, but in like minor ways, often like the rest of us, you know, uh, it's not, you know, it doesn't make for good TV. It doesn't make for good drama. Right. But they're just kids that need a, a little bit of a chance and, and you run alongside them and you do the best you can and cross your fingers if you need to. And yeah, it, it's yeah. that simple, but people put all these barriers up. You know, I, I heard you had to have a lot of money. I heard you have to, well, and in Florida, you know, another issue is that the different agencies will have different requirements. So if I call Florida Baptist children's home that gets money from the state, but calls themselves a private institution, um, they are going to ask questions about my religion. And in fact, we have families in our community here locally that are Baptist, that are members of the local Baptist church that were denied by Florida Baptist Children's Home. Um, in one case, the, the reason was that they had some bottles of wine in their cabinet. And, uh, and that was deemed by this particular agency to be a problem. And for a while, this family thought, okay, well, we wanted to help, but I guess we can't foster because we have wine in the house. Now, they could also get rid of the wine, but I don't even think the agency gave them that opportunity. They just were told, no, we're, we're rejecting your application because your, your lifestyle does not fit with what we're doing. And then, of course, that can be applied in about a, a million different directions from, uh, you know, your religion to your consumption preferences, to your sexuality, to any and everything. Right. And, and so you find, you know, you find people that want to be a part of the system, want to help already, you know, have, have, have redesigned rooms in their houses to have bunk beds and, you know, they're, they're completely bought in and ready to go. And then one agency out of maybe depending on the area, you know, two, three, five agencies uh, tells them no. And they don't realize that there's actually a bunch of other agencies you can just call. You are right about that. And, and you know what, I want, I want to get into that because I want to get into the fact of how different the agencies are, but first, you know, we're going to take a quick little break here. Um, you know, everyone, I, I am so excited about this conversation. We haven't even started to touch about the fact that Willie um, has eight kids, um, seven of them actually from foster care. So, you know, it's going to be a great second half. Listen, do me a big favor. Um, as you're on the treadmill, leave us a review, um, share this podcast, and please make sure that you go on YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If there's someone that you feel that can move the needle just like Willie has been doing, please email us at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org, and we truly want to hear from you. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that is inspiring our communities to bring dignity and hope to youth in foster care. You know, for just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Cases mission to eliminate trash bags from the foster care system. For every $10 donated, a Comfort XL duffel bag will be given to a child entering foster care. Please help us be part of the change. Go to comfortcases.org and see how you can help a child entering our foster care system. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Fostering Change. I am so excited for our guests that we had. Hopefully, you've been able to tune in to the first part. If not, don't ever, always forget. You can go to comfortcases.org, where we have all of our podcasts, or you can go to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch our podcast there as well. You know, Willie, we were in the process of talking about um, different agencies. And mm -hmm. so I, I live in Maryland. Um, when we first started out, um, deciding to be parents. Um, of course, I was a kid who grew up in the system. And so foster care is the route that we ended up going. We lived in the District of Columbia. And so we went out, we started with DC Child and Family Services. And by the way, if you read my book, A Forever Family, I talk about those nightmares of people who are getting a license, who l could not believe that they got a license, went through the same class, said things that I would be like, I wouldn't allow you to even watch anything, much less a child, um, but still was handed a license and were able to receive children. And then we were one of the first couples to be able to be transferred from a public agency to a private agency. And let me tell you the reason why. I okay. would shut my mouth. <laughs> they, it, every single time I turned around, I reminded them what they should be doing for a child instead of what they weren't doing for a child. And it was, I'll never forget it. It was Dr. Chapman from the National Center for Children and Family. Um, she said, I will take this family. You know, and at that point, we had two that we were adopting, two were being reunified. We ended up adopting all four of them. But with a thing that blew my mind, is how different all the agencies are. For instance, if you have a child in the District of Columbia, you can't have a bunk bed. You cannot have bunk beds within DC um, in certain counties in Maryland. Now, it even gets even crazier. My son, who is 20, who arrived in our home at the age of 18, two years ago, when we called the agency that we found out that he was with, and they found out that we were a same-sex marriage, they wouldn't return our phone call. Okay. Mind you, this kid is 18 years old. He's been floundering in a system, and we're finally going to give him a home where he's going to be with us forever. And because you have an issue with the fact that my husband and I are the same sex, you're not even going to return our phone call? Um, it, it's it's crazy like that, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, there are some peculiarities about the system that make you really scratch your head and, and realize that maybe this is not about the children after all. And uh, that's one big one, right? So um, I understand if you are an agency uh, affiliated with a certain belief system that maybe you have some constraints placed on you. But if you are charged with managing wards of the state, shut up. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what your preferences are. I mean, uh, you know, there's been a lot of debate here in the state of Florida over whether these types of agencies should be uh, allowed to discriminate based on their beliefs. And uh, my concern with that, you know, because like, look, I want to say, I understand the talking points, right? You're a private agency, you're privately funded, you're allowed to do what you want. Cool. Except you're not privately funded <laughs> uh, or you're not just privately funded. So the minute you take that check from the state, you're, you just have to give up some of that, right? And the other thing is they're not handling 
children who identify with their belief system, they're handling children of all types. Yeah. We've had some issues and some date debates with the idea of, well, what, what are you going to do when you have a uh, homosexual child who is looking for a place and you assign them to an agency that doesn't believe that homosexuality exists? How are they going to adequately serve that child? And I know they'd have a response to that. Uh, I just don't think it's a very good response. I just suspect that it's uh, well, the response know, is. I mean, let's just look at the 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 data. I mean, look at the look at the amount of children who are in this system who do um, consider themselves LGBTQ. The suicide rate is higher. The homelessness rate is higher. The the movement the movement of them moving from one house to the next is higher. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I, I I say it all the time. Um, I am a I am a I'm a true believer that I love the fact that my children have been raised in a church, but that was our choice, our choice. And my children are at an age that if they don't want to get up on a Sunday morning and go to church with their dad and I, we don't sit there and say, you better go where you're grounded. We just hope that maybe some way we can instill being a good human at the end of the day is what truly, you know, matters. So, so you actually have eight kids. Magic number eight. Yes. Wow. Um, one of them has a child. So I'm technically a grandfather. So what are their ages? Uh, okay. So the youngest is eight. Uh, he is the only birthed one, the only little toe head in the bunch. Um, when the other kids are talking about how they were once orphans and they were adopted, uh, he tries very hard to like be a part of that, you know, and say, yeah, yeah, me too. I had a, I had a different mom too. And they have to say, no, no, you, you weren't adopted. And he, I mean, he will, he will get very upset. No, you know, I was adopted, you know, at least when he was younger. Um, so it's funny that he's the, he's the oddball. He's the, uh, you know, the one excluded sometimes. Um, most of them are between eight and 14. Uh, we have one that is 22 and one that is 32. Um, the 22-year-old came into our house uh, when she was about 16, right after she turned 16, I think, actually. And uh, then the 32-year-old is we adopted as an adult, actually, which was kind of a, a strange experience because she's uh, biologically related to some of the other kids and, you know, would come around and have dinner and hang out and, you know, help do hair and do all this sort of stuff. And she was very involved in what we were doing. And then one day she just sort of asked or I guess it wasn't really asked, but she said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to have a family too. And we, we kind of, you know, it was like one of those, like, you know, ouch, damn that, you know, okay. Yeah, of course. And we thought she just kind of meant informally. And we said, well, okay, you know, you're, you're one of us, come on and, you know, come to holidays and, you know, hang out. And then a week or two later, she, she just came out and asked, you know, is there, is there such a thing as an adult adoption? And we said, not, totally sure actually we have never looked into it i i think maybe looked into it it turns out yeah there there is such a thing um and we get some raised eyebrows about that um which i'm pretty comfortable i mean we're we're pretty far into the deep end now so uh, you know there, there's nothing normal about what's going on around me most days but um you know at, at first we thought well this is for emotional reasons right this is for psychological you know i, I want to feel like i'm connected and that's true but then we start realizing well if she gets in a car wreck you know the day before we adopt her we can't just go to the hospital and visit her 
she's not she's not a relative of ours. We're not next of kin. We're not anything. And uh, I'm assuming that most nurses are a little bit too busy to sit there and uh, let me, you know, diagram out why we're sort of her parents, but not really her parents, you know. And uh, yeah, it, it opens up a lot of uh, a lot of doors to just have a family. It turns out from the from the psychological and the emotional to yeah, just a really practical, tangible things that you try to do in life. And uh, so that's been interesting, but most of them, you know, if you see me around town, you'd see me normally with about six kids, right. which, which is fewer than eight, but still a, a few. So we are going through an adult adoption right now with our son, Alex. Ooh. And um, same thing that you went through where Alex came to us and asked if we would adopt him again. He'd been living with us. I was like, you'll always be part of the family. And I always thought that it was the psychological that he wanted. And then, and as a matter of fact, today, you know, here's my uh -oh. Alex adoption folder because it has been crazy for what we've had to go through to adopt him. You know, even to the point where we hired an adoption attorney. So this afternoon I have a meeting with our adoption attorney because we didn't have our original marriage license in the application. And, and it's like, you know, they, they do not make it easy for, for kids. And, and again, we're not talking about a kid who was raised with his mom and dad and, or his mom or his dad. I mean, we're talking yeah, about you're not having to get rid of somebody legally or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, and is by the way, which is the craziest part here, his bio father who has had nothing to do with him his entire life. He, my son is now 20 years old and I'm now having to track him down just to sign a piece of paper. And yep. it's like, my son is 20. So yeah, I, the whole adult adoption thing is definitely, we need to make it a little easier. We need to make it a little easier. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. And it was kind of an eye-opening experience for, for me to go through as well. And, and um, you know, given how difficult it is to get older kids and where older is defined as a number that might shock some people, you know, in some states and some areas at some times, old might be more than three or four years old. Yes. That might be considered an old child. And, and they, you know, deem them a risk of not ever being adopted because people like little babies who I, I don't know if they want to like try to pretend like they birthed it or something, or I, I, I don't know what, uh, you know, personally I'm, I'm uh, I don't let babies in my home. Um, <laughs> so we did the baby uh, thing. We had, we had a six month old, a two year old, a two year old, and a four year old. We went through it, did it, done it. Don't want to do oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. We've had plenty. Oh yeah. We've yeah. had plenty. I'm just, they're, they're not welcome anymore. And yeah. uh, I've told people, you know, if somebody, knocks on the door late at night and I open up the door and there's a baby, you know, uh, you know, like in the, in the movies, right. Um, I, I'll call somebody to take care of the baby, but that baby's not coming. Out. I'm done, done with me. I've done my time. Uh, I'm not, I'm not that long suffering. Yeah, no, I um, agree, Willie. I agree with you 100%. You know, I have to tell you, what a great conversation. I mean, what a great conversation. I have one more question to ask you. Do you think you will have any more? It seems very unlikely at this point, uh, just because and this is, you know, I, I'm sure you get this question a lot as well. You know, how, how many, how many did you want to have to begin with? And when are you going to say enough is enough? And, and it's kind of like, well, you know, th this was never the plan. The plan was to adopt, you know, try to adopt the, the first two placements that we had, which we did. And then we thought too, that's, you know, perfect, you know, nice, nice, even number. 
And then the what happened was we kept getting phone calls about impossibly dire situations and they'd say hey can can you take this baby okay and then we had child we ended up adopting that was being fostered by uh some friends of ours who were a little bit older and had just done some adoptions and, and they weren't really feeling like they were able to adopt another one and we already knew him and his background was pretty traumatic. It looked pretty bad on paper. And uh, as you know, you know, when you decide whether you want to adopt uh, a foster child, you have to go read their binder. Well, their bind, you know, the binder can be like this big or this big, or, you know, and he had two big, big binders. And it was not because of anything he did. It was because of things he was exposed to and, and very horrible things. But we sat down and read that and, and couldn't shake the thought that anybody who reads this is going to say this, this kid's broken beyond repair. Right. Uh, he's got to have some issues and he's, he's the sweetest kid we have. Um, but because of that binder, I mean, that binder was almost making him, I, I don't like the word, but you know, kind of unadoptable. Of course. You know, and it's like, we knew him. He got along with the kids. We already had a relation. It just, you know, so we, we've always asked ourselves, we, does this make sense? Can this fit in with our lifestyle? Can can we accommodate this? Uh, and if the answer is no, then the second question is, okay, well, is it a a simple fix or is it a big fix? You know, if a simple fix, um, you know, for us at one point was, okay, we're gonna need a we're gonna need an extra bathroom or two, so we're gonna need a new house. So uh, it's not ex not super simple, but um, you know, with something we could do. Uh, you know, a, a thing that we couldn't fix would be. You know, we're absolutely out of money. We, you know, we, we can't stretch the dollars anymore. We, we're out of time. And, and frankly, I think that's where I'm at now, at least where I, I don't, I don't have any more bandwidth to spread. I, I can't be spread any thinner than I am right now. So, uh, and that's uh, one of the other reasons that I think we kind of backed away from the Go Foster stuff was saying, you know, um, it, it's a trade-off trying to decide, you know, okay, do I spend time with this? We can plan this event and do some awareness or I can just make sure I'm bonding with my kids and I can make sure that they're doing okay. And it, it sort of became a, a pressing issue to say, let's make sure the kids in my house are like well taken care of. So I get it. I get it as a dad. I get it. Well, Willie, listen, I am just absolutely, I cannot thank you enough for this conversation. You know, the whole reason that I started Fostering Change um, over a year ago was for this, to have conversations, to um, educate our community. And by the way, I say it often, our community is not our zip code. It's our human race. And so many people do not know the impact that they can make in a child's life, even if that impact is just for one one day. Now, listen, everybody, um, you all can be part of the change. Not all of you are made to adopt, not all of you are made to foster, but each and every one of you are, can make a difference. And that difference can be in mentoring. You know, I see so many group homes where kids could need help with homework, go shoot a basketball. There's so much that you can do. And so please, you know, visit comfortcases.org, see how you can impact your community. But the flattering thing you can do is make sure you share this podcast. You can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, 
Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all the podcast platform. But you can also go to YouTube and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please make sure that you leave a review. We love a review. We also would like to hear some questions. You know, maybe there are some questions that you didn't hear from Willie and you want to have a question. Reach out to me. I'll make sure that Willie gets that information. And once again, everybody, help us change the system instead of continuing to blame the system. Have a great day, everybody. I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. Check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. And I know some of you have a question, and I know some of you would love to be a guest. Please personally reach out to me at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. That's fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Then do me a big favor. Please help spread the word. Share this podcast. Share it with your friends and your family. Remember, I say this quite often, we're all part of the same community. And that community, it's not our zip code, but our human race. Let's all make a difference. 